Psalm 103, verse 5 and 7, where we sing about the tender mercies of our Father despite our sins. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what a bitter cry of David in this text. Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Does it touch your heart? It certainly touches mine. Being a father in Israel, having raised sons of our own together with my wife, how can any father or mother not sense that, that deep pain and a deep sorrow in this bitter cry, having also raised children of their own, have then experienced indeed the joy of raising children, but also sometimes bitterness, pain, struggles, sorrows. And perhaps you are one of them reading this, this cry of David, you're crying yourself, perhaps, in your heart. This pain because of a, a situation in your own family. Perhaps a, a physical death of one of your children due to a health issue or, or foolishness. Or worse yet, a spiritual death or the leading thereto, waywardness, backsliding of one of your children. Or how we then cry out to the Lord in pain. How we then grieve bitterly in our hearts. Well, brothers and sisters, if you are one of them, you are not alone. No, you're not alone. Other fathers and mothers in Israel share your grief. For it can be safely said there's hardly a father and a mother who has not shared at one time or another greater or to smaller degree pain, sorrow. Prayers to the Lord on behalf of their children. Yeah, sometimes our children are wonderful. They're a joy. But sometimes they too can be so, so difficult. We all know that. And so you're not alone. No, you're not alone. Other fathers and mothers share this grief, this sorrow with you. But also because our Heavenly Father shares your grief in a very personal way. For he, up, he offered up his one and only son on that bitter and shameful cross. No, not because he was wavered, not because he was rebellious. No, because you and I are wavered. You and I are rebellious. But it is therefore that we can now see joy in the midst of sorrow, that we may, in the midst of grief, we may have hope and we may receive comfort and strength in our time of need. And so our brother and sister may proclaim to you the word of God this afternoon as follows. The grief of a parent can only be covered in Christ. And so from King David, we learn, one, there is deep love despite much grief. Secondly, there is failure despite successes. And thirdly, there is victory despite hopelessness. So first of all, the grief of a parent can only be covered in Christ. From King David, we learn that there is deep love despite much grief. Now, what parent does not love their sons and daughters? You love your son and daughter. They can hurt you so much at times, and they can even embarrass you terribly, yet you can't help but love them, not so? 
They can sometimes be so disobedient and so rebellious, yet you feel drawn to them. You love them too much to let them go. They're still your flesh and blood. They may even leave you for a time or may even forever, and yet you can't forget them. You still love them so very much. They can even cost you a lot of money. You may need to bail them out of this trouble or that trouble. They may hurt you bitterly, but you still continue to love them dearly. You would do anything for them, so to speak. Indeed, in the words of Isaiah, they are so true. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child that she has born? That love is true for a mother, but it's no less true for a father. David also expresses such grief in his life. Now, we don't hear too much about his wife or his wives. They must, too, have bitterly grieved over the loss of their sons. All focus is here on David. David as a father in Israel, as a father of his household, who was to set godly examples and godly teachings on his children, and particularly his sons, who were also to become fathers in Israel, fathers of households. A third commandment must have laid heavy on David's heart as he strove to to raise his children to fear and love of the Lord. David knew the commandments very well. He knew the third commandment also very well, that the sins of the father would be carried through to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him, that is, those who rebel against him, particularly with deliberate sin. But brothers and sisters, we as fathers and mothers and would-be fathers and mothers, the Lord willing, should not associate ourselves with David's grief only, but must also put David's grief into perspective the whole of David's life. That is, not only of David's life of sin, but also David's life of worship and David's trust in the Lord. Now, David must have frequently reflected on his own sin in his life the horrible sin of adultery and murder and the consequences thereof. Yes, there was deep sin in David's life, but there's also sin in our lives. And the consequences of some of our sins also follow us. Yes, there is forgiveness, but there are scars. Now, sin can cause us sometimes to lose perspective of where our first love ought to be. And how our love should be applied. David struggled with that too. How often does not the child who causes us the most grief also get the most attention and love? And that can have a detrimental effect on the other children. David too had other children, but we don't hear too much of his love for his other children, other than later his love for Solomon. But almost from the very beginning of Absalom's teenage life, we may say, David had a special attraction for Absalom. With the result, he often gave in too quickly to Absalom's requests, when a better judgment would have given a better response. But David lost perspective because of somewhat twisted love for his son Absalom. He appeared to love his son Absalom more than all the rest of his sons, And also at all costs. He was even willing to flee from his son. All the while his son Absalom had not done him any good. Had not built up David's reputation 
as a father and king in Israel. First, Absalom manipulated his father, King David, enforcing Amnon, David's oldest son, to attend a celebration associated with the shearing of Amnon's sheep. At the festive meal, Absalom got his half-brother Amnon drunk. And then he ordered his servants to murder Amnon in revenge for raping his sister Tamar. Absalom went into self-imposed exile then. He fled from the royal house in, in, in Jerusalem and stayed for three years with his grandfather, Talmai, king of Geshur. And David mourned for the death of his son, Amnon, despite Amnon's sin against Tamar. For Amnon was his oldest son and therefore also an heir to the throne. Nevertheless, it was not very long before David also longed again for Absalom. Yet it would take two years before David would meet Absalom again. And when he does meet Absalom, he, he hugs him and gives him a kiss. Now you would think that such a son would have learned a lesson or two in taking things in his own hands. However, that was not the case. Once Absalom regained his previous position in David's household, he began to take steps to replace his father as king in Israel. He acquired horses and chariots and a, and a private militia and began positioning himself to become David's replacement as the highest legal authority in Israel. And he continually undermined his father's goodwill. Absalom acted like a true politician attempting to run for office. And his efforts paid off. It appeared, too, that his good looks also did him a lot of good. Eventually became more popular than his father. And so that after winning the favor of many of the people of Israel, Absalom decided that it was now time to fulfill his ambition by proclaiming himself king over Israel. When David learned of this, note what David said. David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. David knew Absalom's murderous intent, that none, not even himself, Absalom's father, would escape Absalom's sword. And yet, David loved his son. And so he was not going to fight his son in the city. That would be disastrous. And so David and his men fled into the forest near Mahanaim. But David was a trained soldier and a skilled war strategist. In Mahanaim, David received provisions from his people, and he was able to organize his troops for battle. Quite a company appeared yet to follow David, for he appointed commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and over them he placed three generals, Joab, Abishai, and Etai. And the king said, I myself will also go out with you. But here we see how much the people loved David. But they would not let David go out to battle with them. Not this time. For they knew that his son Absalom was out to get David. None except David was Absalom's real target. Therefore, in a respectful way, they said to the king, you shall not go out. It is better that you send us help from the city. And David complied. But as the troops were about to go out to war on behalf of their king, David had some final words for them. 
And it was not the usual pep talk of, of all the hype and focus on victory. No, David's charge was quite different. This is what David said. David said, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. David said this personally to each of his generals as they walked by him. And so as Job and all his men walked by David, David shouted out to them, Be gentle with, for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all Job and his men heard David say this. And then Abishai with his men walked by David. And David would, Solomon, I'm sorry, David would shout out again, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all Abishai's men heard David say this. And so also with the general Etai and his men. Everyone, everyone heard these words. Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. Do you see, brothers and sisters? Here was not a concern for the people of Israel. Here was not a concern for the church, you could say. No, here was concerned only for his one son, his wayward son. How many people would die because of David's one son? And yet David was not concerned for all those who would die in Israel, but only for his one son, his rebellious son, Absalom. How different that was from the advice that Ahithophel gave to Absalom. Ahithophel's intent was only to kill David and let all the other people in David's army live. Yet David allowed his men to kill any other Israelite, but not his son, the leader of the revolution. What love David has for his son, huh? But was it not a twisted love? Yes, how easy it is to have a twisted love in our desperation to love our children despite their mistakes, their rebellion, their sin. 20,000 soldiers would die that day in battle. What grief that should have caused David. But no, David had little concern for the many who would die for the sake of his son's sin. He only had concern for the son whom he loved so dearly that he would up, offer up the lives of many for his one son. Oh yes, there is so much grief in this, isn't there? But David's deep yet twisted love will only bring greater grief. And so we come to the second point. There is failure despite successes. Oh yes, David was very successful in most of the things he'd done. It began already when he was in his father's house, when he was taking care of his father's sheep. He did that very well. But the Lord was with him. The Lord allowed David to fight a bear one time and another time a lion in order to protect his father's sheep. In the fear of the Lord, David was fearless. He won the battle for the Lord by conquering the giant and blasphemer of God. One day he came face to face with this giant of man, Goliath. But in David won the battle, not with a sword or spear, but with a sling and a stone. David had been successful also as a magician. He was re renowned for his harp playing. He could soothe the troubling soul of, of King Saul. Later, David set up the, the temple worship. 
and he produced many of the psalms that we still sing today, giving glory to God even during our difficult times. David, too, had been successful as a soldier and a general. In David's time, the borders of Israel expanded as never before. Under the blessings of the Lord, David had brought what was, became known as the golden age of King David and Solomon. The kingdom of David became the envy of many kings after him, and it became the symbol of the restoration of Israel. Even in the days of the Lord Jesus, remember when just before the ascension to heaven, disciples of the Lord Jesus asked him about, well, now you bring in the restoration of Israel? David had been successful as an administrator. David had been successful as a politician. But for all the wonderful successes that David enjoyed, David failed in his first and primary responsibility. And you know what that is, eh? It's being a father. David failed as a father. And that outweighed all his successes. And you can hear that in David's lament. Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I had died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. David was willing to take the crown off his head and completely empty himself of all his glory, renown and successes. If only he could have this on his conscience, that he had been a good father to his son. Please hear this, young brothers, young fathers, middle-aged fathers. While the child-rearing year, years are yet before you. Lest you too end up grieving as David grieved. Brothers, there is no success in business, in sports, or whatever you may succeed in this world that compares to the success of having been a good father or mother as far as that goes. That is, being there for your sons and daughters. Having been there to teach them the wonderful things of the Lord. Having been there to pray with them and to teach them how to pray. Having been there laying godly examples the godly walk and the godly talk on their young lives. Sure, you can only succeed under the blessings of the Lord, but you yourself must strive to live in covenant obedience and covenant faithfulness. How many today among us are not grieving? I wish we could do it all over again. How many among us are, are lamenting today that you spend too much time in business or in sport or in work, too much fun, too much time having fun with the fellows at work or in sport, and too little time with your children. You left that with your wife. How many are regretting today that as moms that you were not there for your children when they came home from school? Francis, if the world would tell us that much of teenage rebellion is because of dysfunctional families. Also because mom and dad are too busy with each their own affairs. Shouldn't that not wake us up and make us more careful to be there for our children? All the more because we have a covenant responsibility which we vowed before the Lord at the baptismal fund. Yes, some parents are, were too permissive in the rearing of their children. With the result that children made laws for themselves and that did not always include the will and the word of the Lord. As this word, 
to authoritarian. Do this or else. He taught the doctrine without love, without compassion. With the results of the children said, when they got wheels and well into teenage years, mom and dad, if that's what the love of God is all about, that's not for me. And they left the faith because the parents were a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Yes, by the grace of God, thankfully some children learned to deal with the weaknesses of the parents. But for others, it was too much, and they left the faith. True, ultimately, the faith of our children is not in our hands, yet the Lord does use us as his instruments to raise them up, to love him and to fear him. Yes, how many among us are not grieving because of one or other of these realities in our household? David, too, grieved bitterly. Once again, he would willingly have taken the crown off his head, completely emptied himself of, of all his glory, renown, and successes, if only he could have on his conscience that he had been a good father to his son. Undoubtedly, David would gladly have traded all his successes for the success of being a good father. Brothers and sisters, there is no treasure so great than to know that you were successful as a father and mother, under the blessings of the Lord, of course. And there's no treasure so great than to have a clear conscience that you gave your best effort and time and energy in raising of your children. And that is all that the Lord is requiring of us as parents. Contrary, there's no misery so great than to realize that you failed as a father or mother. And that is particularly because of a certain sin or weakness in your personal life, which you knew but you, you refused to correct. Perhaps it was greed or, or materialism or worldlyism. Perhaps it was a particular God in your life, a sport or power or achievement or entertainment, maybe a certain person. Brother says David knew from where his trouble came. The Lord had told him through the prophet Nathan. And the Lord then pointed at David and said, Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house, because you have despised me. And I've taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. But isn't it ironic that it would be Job who would kill Absalom? For it was Job who had organized the embassy of Absalom in the first place, had brought him back to Jerusalem. And it was Job who obtained greater freedom for Absalom and brought him back into king's presence. But it was also Job who, under the orders of David, had Uriah killed in battle without raising a word of protest to the king. And now this military commander who would kill a righteous man, Uriah, at David's request, now killed David's own son, Absalom, in direct violation to David's request. As the saying goes, what goes around comes around. It seems to fit here, doesn't it? David, who abused his almost absolute authority, and so took Uriah's wife, and then Uriah's life, is now powerless to save his own son from death at the hands of Joab. Joab knew that King David had broken the laws of the Lord because he had followed his own desires of adultery, and murder. 
that he could therefore hardly hold Job to account. So at this point, Job only did what was best for Israel and not for the king. Job was weary of this troublemaker, Absalom. All the trouble he had caused David and all Israel, and so he had Absalom put to death. And David couldn't touch Job. Because David knew he was guilty himself. Yes, what misery our sin can bring upon us. How often do we not struggle with our own sins and shortcomings? Yes, our own sins and weakness makes the child-rearing of our children sometimes very difficult. How we see ourselves so often in our own children. How we are reminded of our own weaknesses, sins, and shortcomings through our children. And then we can grow weary. And then we can give up and, and give in and throw up our hands in sense of hopelessness. And there's also then so much grief and sorrow in our hearts when we see our children not walking in the ways of the Lord. And yet, we continue to love them. We can't forgive them. David continued to love Absalom, despite Absalom's grievous sins against God and against the king, and despite Absalom hurting him so bitterly. Because of his deep love for his son Absalom, David cried bitterly when he hears Absalom's death. Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And yet, there is victory despite hopelessness. And so we come to the last point. With Absalom's death, the battle is done. But isn't it striking, though, how the Lord saw to it that Absalom would die that day? regardless if Job and his armor bearers did not kill Absalom. If left to himself, Absalom would have been another one of those whose life would have been claimed by the forest. For God saw to it that Absalom's head would be caught in the tree, and so if left dangling there long enough, he would certainly have died. But it was Job and his men who killed Absalom. And there was a message in this for David, that it was Job who in the end killed his son Absalom. In later days, when David could see things more clearly, he would realize that in this, his own sin had come upon his own head. But for the moment, he was too captivated in his twisted love for his son. He only had one son in mind. Absalom alone had David's full attention and love. Now you can imagine that the army of David was, it was a great day for them. Great day of victory. For Absalom's army also was not very small. And you can just imagine them parading back to Mahanaim, singing victoriously, singing songs of victory. Suddenly, the song stopped. Because when they got to Mahanaim at the gate, the king was not there to greet them. That was because David had already heard of his son's death. After the defeat of Absalom's army, with the death of Absalom, Ahimaaz, the son of Sadoc, had begged Job to be the one who would bring the good news to David. Now, Job knew that this would not be good news for the king, although it would be for everyone else. Job knew, too, that Ahimaaz was a friend of the king, and therefore, when the king would see him coming, that the king would consider this as good news. For this reason, Job forbade Ahimaaz to run to Mahanaim. 
You see how Job was still considerate and gentle with his king. Job sent the Cushite instead. However, Ahimaeus persisted, and so finally Job reluctantly lets him run too. They carry the news to David. And being highly motivated and being a, a better runner, he chose also a faster route, and Ahimaeus managed to come to Mahanaim before the Cushite. Now, as a concerned father, David stood by the gate, constantly seeking over the horizon, anxiously waiting for news. No, not whether the battle was successful. You notice that in the questions he asked the runners. No, not whether the battle was successful, but whether his son was still alive. You see what love David has for his son? His wavered son, his rebellious son? Yet a twisted love? And then three times, David received evidence that the news might be good news. First, there's a single runner, and that's interpreted to be good news. Then a watchman sees another single runner. That again is interpreted to be good news. And then the watchman told David that the first runner is Ahimeas. That's a friend of David. Then it must truly be good news. So three times, David receives the confirmation that it is good news. What a slap in the face it was for King David when he finally learned that his son was dead. And his grief was great. He was overcome with emotion. His heart was wrenched in pain. And going up to the upper room, he cried, Oh, oh my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. Would I had died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. David expressed here that he wished he could have died in the son's place. And this would not only have been because of his great love for his son, but also because of his knowledge that he had caused his son's death. For you see, brothers and sisters, this is now the third son of David that died. First, there had been that baby in adultery. And then there was Amnon. And now there's Absalom. How much can a man take? How much sorrow and misery can a father or mother take to see not one, but more of their children go astray or die? And yet there would be one more son of David who would die in later years, Adonijah, who strove to receive the royal inheritance alongside of Solomon. So four times, brothers, four times, David had to stand at the graveside of one of his sons with tears coming down his eyes, his heart wrenched in pain, and so overwhelmed with deep grief, crying out, oh, my son, my son, it was I, it was I who caused you your death. It was I, by my sin, who caused you this misery. And so understandably, not only out of the deep love for Absalom, but also of the deep sense of guilt, of being the guilty one, who brought on this misery into his household, caused David to wish that he would have died instead of Absalom. And yet, brothers and sisters, the main message of this text is not on misery. No. It's not on the misery that we bring upon ourselves, that we brought upon ourselves because of our sin, but it's on good news. It's on good news. But isn't it striking how much of this text deals with the delivery of the message to King David? One-third of our reading, 13 out of 33 verses, deals with delivering the message to King David. And the word used repeatedly, even eight times, is a rendering of the Hebrew term meaning good news. 
This word good news used in the Greek New Testament is a reference to the proclamation of the gospel. The victory over sin, Satan, and death obtained in the shed blood of Christ on the cross. Now, the, the good news which Ahimaaz wanted to proclaim to David was that God had given the victory. The problem was that David was not inclined to accept this as good news. Good news for David was that Absalom was still alive. Good news for every other man involved in the war with Absalom and his men that day was that Absalom's army had been defeated and that this troublemaker had been removed. Indeed, it can be asked, how could David receive the death of his son as good news? How can any parent receive the good news of Jesus Christ as good news when they see their son and daughter going astray? Well, there's good news in it, brothers and sisters. There is. For it is through the bitterness of our own sin that we begin to see the light of salvation. And that light is that as we bitterly grieve over the spiritual struggles of some of our children, we become more and more increasingly aware of, and more remorseful of our own sins and weaknesses. And we become increasingly aware of our hopelessness and our helplessness. Our old sins and weaknesses work against us, even in our best effort to raise our children to fear of the Lord. But then, brothers and sisters, we can fall on our knees before our Heavenly Father, who is a Father unto us, who will never leave us, who will never fail us, who loves us with far deeper and purer love than we can ever have for our children. Yes, it will be another son of David, who is at the same time the true Son of God. Indeed, in our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. That is good news for us, brothers and sisters. David, in his somewhat twisted love, had more love for his one rebellious son, Absalom, than for all the people of Israel who obediently fought for the king. But our Father in heaven has more love for the thousands of us rebellious people than for his one and only beloved son, Jesus Christ. Our Father in heaven had more love for us fathers and mothers. Though we raise our children and his children in weakness and shortcomings than he had for his one and only son and so allowed him and him alone to die the eternal cursed death on the cross instead of us. We should know too that David, after his first son's death, still had God's grace and mercy in perspective. For after the baby died, he said, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. For after his son Amnon died, and particularly after his third son Absalom, David lost perspective for a time. And indeed, it's difficult when a little baby dies. But it's so much harder when a grown son or daughter dies with whom he had bonding for so many years. Understandably, David was overwhelmed with grief. David was a broken man. And yet, brothers and sisters, David was a child of the Lord. And so while disciplining his child with hard measures, the Lord also worked the joy of salvation in his heart and the knowledge of the forgiveness of sins and weaknesses. We can hear that in so many of David's psalms later on. In Psalm 32, for example, David claimed, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, 
whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. In Psalm 51, David confesses, the sacrifices of God are a broken heart, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. And so David had learned two most important things. Number one, personal confession of sin and weaknesses in all humility. And secondly, a focus foremost on the well-being of Zion, of God's people, Jerusalem, the church. David knew his sins were given. Even though he must feel that bitter pain and consequence of a sin for the rest of his life, he knew his sins were given. And that is no less true for us, brothers and sisters. When your children go astray, it may be related to a particular aspect in your life, or it may not. But it's hard for a parent not to blame himself or herself for the waywardness of their children. Parents are always inclined to ask, where did I go wrong? What could I have done different? And in hindsight, you may have done things differently, but some things cannot be undone. Sin once committed cannot be undone. They can only be washed away. They can be covered in the blood of Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, don't be like David. Don't be like David, who was unable to receive good news the day the Lord delivered David and his people from evil. But receive the good news that your sins, your weaknesses are forgiven in Christ Jesus. Also in the raising of your children, when you come before him with a sincere heart, seeking his forgiveness. And he will give you peace. He will yet give you the joy through sorrow, the joy of salvation. Believe that with all your heart. He will give that to you, all because he loved not his son more than us, but gave him up for us all, so that we might have life and have life abundantly in Christ. Amen.